So today, we are starting a new teaching series, and uh, we are looking at the feet of Jesus. And uh, throughout the year, we've had our vision, you'll see it there. Uh, we are the hands, uh, sorry, heart, hands, and feet of Christ, because we are the body of Christ. So we've taught about uh, being, having the heart of Christ, having the hands, and so the next uh, five or six weeks, we'll be looking at having the feet of Christ. And uh, where does that take us? And so our series will be looking at some of the journeys that Christ took, how God led him up to the mountain of transfiguration, how, uh, that's you, isn't it, Emma? Me, I'm so excited. Yes. Uh, we look at how his feet took him to the, uh, to the house of Lazarus after Lazarus had died, and so on and so on. So it's what we can learn from where Jesus went and how God wants to take us into situations as well. So I'm starting the series, and we are going to be looking at the temptation of Christ as he goes into the wilderness. And um, I'm going to ask you to open a Bible or open your iPad or phone, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. I'm going to read it to us from verse 1 down to verse 13. And just to say the background is that Jesus is starting his ministry, and he has just been baptized and uh, the father has said, this is, this is my son whom I, whom I love, and I'm well pleased. So he's just done something really good. And, uh, you know, ministry is about to up, go up and running, and the next minute we read these words. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So Jesus goes into the wilderness and has is tempted. Now, I just um, I suppose as a, an intro, I just want to think maybe for some of us, we find ourselves in a wilderness place. And what do I mean by that? The wilderness was a very dry, testing environment. It was a lonely place. And I wonder whether we think about our lives and we think, oh, so, well, my, you know, my life is, is a bit like that. My faith seems very dry. My spiritual life seems dry. Everything is a struggle. I feel alone. And so today, if maybe that's your feeling. And sometimes, you know, we put ourselves there because of the choices we make. 
and the things we do. And we find, you know, we find, well, I'm here because I did this or that. But it's interesting, isn't it? We see that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Something that God said, I'm taking you to this place. And, you know, it's going to be really tough. And maybe for some of us, that's what's happened. That God has brought us to a place. And it is a difficult place because of the, the things that have happened to us that are not our fault and not our choosing. And I hope that today, as we look at what Jesus did, we can find encouragement through the word of God and through the example of Christ. So... Let's do some of the, the work on this this morning, because I'm going to make you work, because I'm going to make you think. You're going to have to look at your, the Bible just to make sure I'm saying the right things. Um, but uh, Matthew 4, Matthew and Luke chapter 4 record the same event. And as I said, it was after Jesus had been baptized. So the first thing I want to look at is the, the whole thing about the wilderness. It's interesting, isn't it, that when you look at the first chapter of the Bible or second chapter of the Bible, we see Adam and Eve, they're not in a wilderness, they're in a beautiful garden. The first Adam is there, and who comes along? We're told that the devil comes along and tempts them both, and they succumb to their tempting. And now we have the second Adam, is what Paul calls Jesus, and he is not in a garden, he's in the wilderness, and the devil comes along to tempt him, hoping that he can make him fall as well. But it's interesting, when you look at the wilderness in the Bible, you'll see that it's a place, um, it could be a real place of testing. It was a place of punishment. If you think about the people of Israel, they were promised to go into the uh, promised land, and they said, well, there's all these giants and all that kind of stuff. And they didn't go in. So for 40 years, no, number 40 again, for 40 years they wandered around in the wilderness. So for them it was a place of testing. And it was a place of punishment. But actually, for many people in the, in the Bible, the desert, the wilderness, was actually a place of encounter with God. Let's, look about, let's think about Abraham. He was in the wilderness. God came and spoke to him. Moses was there, the burning bush. Elijah was there when God met him. John the Baptist went out into the, uh, into the wilderness there, and he was the voice calling in the wilderness. And it's interesting that very often the uh, wilderness, the desert, was a place where powerful things happened. Certainly for the people of Israel, some great things happened. But if you look at the Hebrew word for desert, the word is midbar. Okay? And with the Hebrew language, this is what I'm told. I am no expert when it comes to Hebrew. But for the Hebrew language, they do not, there are no vowels in the, in the Hebrew language. So you've got Midbar, which is M-D-B-R. But also, there's another word that is M-D-B-R. And that's medibar, which actually means to speak. And so we, the, the commentators would say there's a link here. The wilderness was a place of hearing the voice of God. And that was certainly true for two people who for 40 days and 40 nights we're also in the wilderness. Does anybody know who they were? Old Testament. Come on. Moses. Who said Moses? Oh, well done, Julia. Yes, Moses was there. And uh, he was with God. He went up the mountain. He was given the, 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 the stone tablets, the law, the commandments. And then for 40 days and 40 nights, he was alone with 
God. Do you want a reference for those who are very keen? Exodus 34, verses 27 to 28. But there was another guy who was in the wilderness for, 20, for 40 days and 40 nights. Elijah, who was that? Tola, top of the class. Well, you and Julia, top of the class, both of you. But, um, but 40 days and 40 nights. So Jesus is following the pattern of the Old Testament. And of course, Elijah was the person who brought the law. and Sorry, Moses was the law, law bringer. Elijah was the prophet. And then we see Jesus, in a sense... In, emulating these two guys by going into the wilderness. So wilderness was a difficult place, but it was a place where people met with God. And maybe through your difficult experience, your wilderness, I want to encourage you, it's a place where we can meet with God. I wrote, I, I, I kind of copied this into my notes. I, this is not what I've written. It says this, when our life hits the desert, a dry or lonely period, it's very hard to recoup. Our hearts and minds feel weary, burnt out. Everything seems lifeless or pointless. In the most extreme cases, even taking a single step out of the door seems to require an extreme amount of effort. And yet, the desert is not presented as a hopeless place in the Bible. God had used the desert and the wilderness to speak with his people. If you are in the middle of a desert season, you are actually not alone. And maybe today you need to hear those words. Maybe life is extremely difficult, but actually it's a place where God can come near and God can speak. So we thought about the wilderness. What's the next thing we need to think about? And let's talk next about ooh, the enemy. So the Bible talks about the devil. And in Matthew chapter 4, it says this, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. There you go. He's put their center stage in terms of this event. Jesus comes face to face with the devil. Now, the Bible teaches about the reality of spiritual warfare that we do have in our world. There is the devil and uh, the devil is behind the, world, the evils of the world. The, Greeks calls the, the Greek word for devil is diabolos, and that's translated from the Hebrew word, which is Satan. And uh, the Bible has many, many uh, names for Satan, the devil. He's in Isaiah 14, 12, he's called Lucifer, and uh, there are loads of different names for him. I'll just give you a few. He's described as the deceiver, the tempter, a liar, the devil, the murderer, the accuser, the destroyer, prince of power of the air, prince of this world, god of this age, evil one, Beelzebub, and it goes on and on and on. The Bible says that he was a fallen angel. And if you want to read that for yourself, for those who are keen, Isaiah 14, 12 to 23 describes uh, his downfall. And he appears in the Old Testament because we have a guy called Job who was tempted, uh, at, uh, sorry, tested by, uh, by the devil. He came to him, that's John, Job 1 verse 1. But the New Testament gives us a much clearer picture of, of Satan and what he does. And uh, Paul says to the Ephesians, you need to put on the armor of God because you are fighting uh, uh, devil and his schemes. You are fighting principality, principalities and powers uh, of the heavenly realms. There is real power that Satan had. 
And he says, you don't be deceived by him. Peter calls him the roaring lion who uh, roams around for looking someone to look to devour. And his work, basically, is destroy God's work and destroy your faith and to destroy your life. That is very simply what he's about. And you can see that as he comes to tempt Jesus because Jesus was doing God's work and what comes, who comes along? Satan. He comes along and says, I want to test you. I'm going to test you and I'm going to, in a sense, stop the work of God. Stop the work of salvation that Jesus was trying to achieve. And Jesus talked about the devil. He said he only comes to kill, destroy, and steal. He's bad. Really, really bad. Because his goal is to destroy human beings, to destroy peace and justice. All the good things in this world, he is out to destroy. It also says that he blinds the eyes of people. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. That he puts doubts in our minds, and we can see that when he, doubted, uh, when he came to Adam and Eve. He said, did, did God really say that? Did he really say that? And what did he say to Jesus? He said, if you are the son of God. And so maybe when we have doubts, we have to think, well, where do those doubts come from? They come from the devil who wants to destroy our life and our faith. And therefore, we should be aware of his plans. We should understand what he's trying to do. It says that in 2 Corinthians 2. We should be aware of the devil's schemes. But what we need to realize is that Satan has no power over us because we are children of God. We've been born again. We have the Holy Spirit within us. So he is a ferocious enemy, but he only have an impact on us when we give him ground, when we allow him access into our lives. I think it's Paul says, do not give the devil a foothold. And in my mind, I always have the picture of somebody kind of coming to sell you something Come into your front door, knocking on the front door, and, uh, you, you know, I'm here to sell you. I think we had someone the other day looked at our drive at the front of the house and said, oh, you need a new drive. I thought, thank you very much. And, um, and then all of a sudden, you say, no, thank you. But they put the foot in the door, and you can't shut the door because they're there. And I think that's what giving the, foot, the devil a foothold in our lives, that's what it means, that we allow him just to put a foothold and then from a foothold, it does say in Scripture that sometimes the devil builds a stronghold. And that's mighty different. And that's very difficult to shake and to break down. But once we give him access, then we have problems. Because that's what he wants to do. He wants to access your life. And as I said, he hates you. He wants to destroy uh, all that we have as Christians. And he is the total opposite to God in the fact of what he wants to do. What we need to realize, too, that actually he is a fallen angel. So he's a created being, just like you and I. He's not on a par with Christ. It's not, you know, the, we have the yin and the yang, equal good, equal evil in the circle and all that. That's, that's not what Satan and Jesus are about. Satan is a created being, a fallen angel, but he is not a match for Christ even though he would like to think so as we read this passage. So we need just to realize that actually as Christians, we are protected. 
from Satan. It's when we give him access to our lives when we have problems. Yes? Okay, so what was Satan's tactic? Let's have the next one. It was the temptations of Christ. Now, um, I've, uh, I've really enjoyed doing this bit. I've never preached on this before, so this is all new to me. That's why I have to stand here and look at my notes. But it's fascinating that people have taken these three temptations, because that's what we see, and they, put them in diff- and they show them in different ways. One of the ones I really liked was how the temptations took place at different levels. One was at ground level. The next one was on a mountain. And the next one was on the temple tower. So it was almost like from a, from a top, I think the word was topological level. They were different heights, but they got higher as it went along. Um, I was listening to Billy Graham preach on this. That was worth listening to, by the way. If you don't enjoy listening to me, listen to Billy Graham. He's online still, even though he's passed away to be in glory. And he talked about the fact that the temptations, let's get this right, it was the lust of the eyes, the lust of the No, it was the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, which, of course, is quoted in 1 John. So people have taken it apart in different ways. But what we clearly see is that Satan comes along and brings three temptations to Christ, and Christ responds each time by bringing the word of God. And the first one was to make stones, sorry, make bread out, and he just shows him a stone, and it probably did look like a nice loaf of bread. Just do it, Jesus. You have all the power in the world. Just do it. You see, Jesus didn't want to use his power just to please himself. It was a simple temptation. And Jesus says, you know, you don't live by bread alone. And in a sense, he was appealing to those sensual desires that we all have. And maybe that's where you find temptation in your life. You're tempted by the sensual things around you. And Jesus says, no, you don't. We don't live by bread alone. We live by the word of God. And that's true for us too. Because we do have a choice, don't we? When those temptations come along, we give in. Or we hold on to what God has said. And we do what God wants us to do. The next temptation, of course, was the lust of the eyes. And this is fascinating. It says, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me. What he was saying is, actually, you can build a kingdom without having to die. I'll give you the world. Because, you see, Satan, in a sense, came to the planet Earth and has been given dominion over this planet. It says he's the god of this age, the, the, the god of this world, or prince of this world. So he has dominion over this world. And we live in enemy, enemy territory. And he said to Jesus, this is all yours. You can have it all. You don't need to die to have the kingdom of God because you can have it in this way. But the key was, if you worship me. Do you know why Satan fell? Because he wanted the worship that only God deserved. He was a fallen angel, believed that he was a worship leader in heaven. He wanted worship for him rather than God. And just said to Jesus, if you worship me, you can have all this, and you don't need to die. And Jesus, of course, said, no way, no way, not going to go that far. And then lastly, taken up to the temple, and uh, they basically said, just chuck yourself off, 
and the angels will catch you. And I thought about this because somebody said, well, this is, this is the pride of life. And I thought, well, why is that the pride of life? And then what Billy Graham is good. He says, well, basically, if you go to the temple and you kind of dive off, it's going to be a pretty public thing that, you know, you're going, and a couple of angels come and pick you up and everyone's going to look at you and you go, look at that. That was amazing. That person must be truly, truly amazing and special and powerful. The angels attend to him. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to test God in that way. And so when we think about the, the three temptations, the temptations were to, you know, to eat, to fulfill those sensual desires. The second one was for power, to display power, to have power. And we know when power, great power can corrupt very easily. And then the last one was the whole thing about pride and glory and I suppose we talk about that today about celebrity how people want to be noticed people want to be adored people want to be worshipped and just think this is this is these are the temptations that every human being gets tempted with and that's what it says in Hebrews 4 that Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are maybe some of us were tempted sensually or maybe we long to have a bit of power over others or in a work situation. Or maybe it's that sense of, look at me, how great I am, and, and the adoration of others around you. But Jesus resisted every single temptation that came his way. Now, let's just talk about the last one. The victory. Okay, we all know this, don't we? How did he get a victory? He got it by opening his Bible, saying, this is what the Bible says. And, you know, people say, well, that's how you do it, don't you? You just open your Bible and the devil comes knocking on your door and you get it out and you say, this is it. This is what... You see, I think what we need to realize is there, there are a couple of things that I think are very, very important. Yes, Jesus knew his Bible. He, Jesus knew what God wanted. Jesus knew who, who he was, that he was the son of God. He knew why he came. He knew how important not to give in was. But he also knew the enemy. And he knew exactly what Satan wanted as he come to came to tempt him. And I suppose I need to ask you the question, do you know, do you know who you are as a Christian? How God has you know, made your life, what God's put in you, the Holy Spirit, how important... It is that you are a child of God and that you should not give the devil a foothold in your life because to get rid of him is really, really difficult. I was, um, as I was thinking about this, I thought, um, we know what's right, don't we? But how difficult it is sometimes. Um, I have to be careful how to say this. But have you ever looked at a packet of cigarettes recently? Probably not, because you're all, you know, you, yeah, you do. But, but, but what does it say on them? Does anybody know what it says on them these days? It says smoking kills. It also says smoking seriously harms you and others around you. Smokers die younger. Smoking clogs the arteries and causes heart attacks. Smoking causes fatal lung cancer. 
Smoking when pregnancy harms your baby. Smoking is highly addictive. Don't start. Smoking causes slow and painful death. Smoking causes aging of, of the skin. Smoking contains benzene, nitrous, and hydrogen cyanide. Um, and you kind of think, I'm sorry if people smoke, but, but that's a lot of warnings, isn't it? And it's saying, basically, if you smoke, you're going to have some big problems coming up because this stuff is not good for you. But actually, for those who smoke, it's very difficult not to smoke. And I think to myself, do you know what? When, when we think about what Satan tempts us to do, the consequences are quite serious. And yet we still do it. Even though the Bible warns us of the effects of sin and going those kind of, in that kind of direction. And I think what we need to realize, we need to know the effects of the fall when we sin. How it does break our relationship with God. How it puts a barrier between us and God. And what we need to realize is actually, if I choose to do the right thing, my life is going to be so much better if I make the right choices. And that's what Jesus did. Because not only did he know the word of God, he obeyed the word of God. Yes? So he said, this is what I need to do. I'm not going to take up bread because actually what I need is the word of God. Even though I'm starving, hungry, my belly is rumbling, and almost I can almost smell the baked bread, I'm going to say no because I know it's not the right thing to do. And that's the thing, isn't it? Because actually we can get so much knowledge, can't we? You know, if I was to, we to do a few little tests around here, you'd probably all get 10 out of 10, you'd get 90% because your Bible knowledge is great, Okay. Because we, many of us, we've come from a brethren background, and what we do is we learn the Bible, we understand the Bible, we understand theology, we've got a great deal of knowledge, but actually if we don't do what the Bible says, it's all wasted, isn't it? So I'd encourage you, if you are struggling, choose to go God's way and obey what the Bible says. And if you don't know what the Bible says about your situation, then ask somebody about it. What should I do? What does the Bible say I should do in this situation? Because when we choose to disobey, we're kind of just going Satan's way. Because exactly what he wants. He wants us to ditch the Bible. He wants us to lose our faith. He wants our faith to go cold. He wants us not to come and join with other people. He wants us not to sit with other people and study the Bible and pray. It's a clear choice. We obey God or we disobey God. But the consequences are different. But they are both there. And I encourage you today to stand on what God wants you to do. The last thing is this whole thing about resilience. Because as I said about a couple of weeks ago, when Jesus was tempted, he was tempted again and again and again because he didn't give in. When we give in to temptation, it's over, isn't it? We don't get tempted anymore. The devil walks away and thinks, that's job done. They've fallen over. That's great. But Jesus never fell as far as sin. So his temptation went on and on and on. And he had that resilience to keep responding and keep doing the right thing, even though it got harder, maybe harder and harder and harder. 
And so he had resilience. And I do believe that today we need resilience. We had a, I was talking to, I think it was Dave Thatcher, about school. How we grew up, you know, when you, we grew up a long time ago, didn't we, Dave? In school. And how in those days, school was tough. Tough. You had to be tough. And Dave was shown in this story. He's basically, him and a couple of other people. Sorry, Dave, but, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you don't mind this one. He and a couple of other kids, they were a bit naughty in class. And he had a math teacher who was ex-army, and he just said basically, right, you three, go outside and run around the track 20 times. True? Yeah. So he, yeah, run, run, 20 times. I'm sure, like most young people, you know, dawdling along. And next thing, the teacher's behind them, running along. And what did he have in his hand, eh? And what happened when you stopped running? Okay, maybe we shouldn't have that bit on YouTube. <laughs> For those who are listening, they apply discipline with a slipper. Okay. But that just, you know, it's tough. I'm sure Dave was a very good runner after that. Increased his speed and his stamina. But you know, we, we need a toughness to our faith. Not to be weak and not to be whingy, but to stand on what God has asked us to do. And Jesus had that toughness. And I believe that is what got him through. Holding on to what God said, but resisting the devil. What does that say? It says in the Bible, doesn't it? If we resist the devil, does he hang around? No. And that's where we need to get to a point where we say, no, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to hold on to my faith. I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to be the person God wants me to be. So Jesus overcame Satan as he stood his ground, as he quoted the word of God. I want to ask you this morning, where is your wilderness? Are you in a wilderness today? Because you know when you're in a wilderness, two things probably happen. One is you'll get tempted to throw it all away, your faith and everything else. But also in the wilderness, we can encounter God. And we can hear his voice and know his presence because Jesus knew the word of God, but he knew the presence of God with him. And it says once his tempting was over, the angels came and attended to him. He was never alone. And I want to encourage you, maybe today you feel you're in a wilderness. Reach out to God. Hold on to your faith. Hold on to his word. And you will know his presence and you will hear his voice. Amen. Let's take a moment to pray, shall we?
Father, I thank you for the example that Jesus gives us. How he was tempted in every way and yet was without sin. Lord, I, I just want to pray this morning that we would emulate his life, that we would hold on to you, to your word, and we would seek lives that are pleasing to you. And you would give us the strength and the power and the resilience to resist temptation when it comes. However that may be, Lord, I just want to pray, Lord, that we would stand firm in our faith and we would see your victory. Lord, I pray especially for those who are going through difficult times. Lord, I want to pray, pray that you would sustain them, you would be near them, you would speak into their lives, and you would help them in their journey. And Father God, I pray all this now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.